yo, what's good, Internet? It's the Harvest of Colin Atrophy, and I am very happy to welcome you to episode number 29 of uh, Radio Harvester. You might be wondering why I can't remember what episode number it is or what the name of my podcast is, even though this is the, I don't know, probably 15th take of this intro, and it's because I'm sick and I have a cold, and I needed everyone to know because I'm a baby. Gotta love me. Um, this month is uh, it's a good one. It's a really good conversation. I, I know I don't I sound like an unenthused shithead, but it's not. I'm not. I'm excited. I just don't feel good. Um, the guest is my friend Gina Favano from here in Pittsburgh, and she's like a cool lifer freak uh, who I am so inspired by, and I'm so happy that I got a chance to talk to and learn more about. And um, I hope you will enjoy that conversation too. We um, we talk about growing up in South Philly. We talk in an Italian American family in South Philly. We talk about be um, finding out she was adopted. We talk about being in punk bands. We talk about um, her artistic practice now as an adult. And I think just overall, you get a feel for who she is as a person, and that I think is cool because she's great, and I want you to know her. Okay, enjoy. for a podcast that's like not going to be a series like originally I was like oh I want to write this story and then turn it into like a radio piece or something and now like it's like the age of the podcast and like this format actually makes a lot of sense yeah but like in like two, what year was that it's like 1999 or 2000 or something I rode my bike across Florida because I had found out a few years before that I was adopted. So I went like in search of my biological father, whose name is James Roberts. And I was like, oh, this makes total sense. I'm just gonna go to everyone in Florida. Cause that's where all the, um, like the deadbeat dads used to move to Florida. Cause you didn't used to have to pay child support if you lived down there. <sighs> Fuck. So I was like, did like a, you know, really early computer search. And was like all these dudes named James Roberts who are like all born in the same year. Right. There's like 36 of them or something. In Florida. In Florida, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, oh, I'll just ride my bike to all their houses and like knock on the fucker's door or whatever. But I recorded like just with like a giant like cassette handheld recorder. I recorded like parts of those interactions and like the quality's really terrible, but I always kind of wanted to do something with them. And yeah. like, so that's just like a, like a one facet of it. But like, like my adopted... Italian family like they all got each other um, like the DNA tests for Christmas last year uh-huh. and they're they're all most of them are finding out that they're not actually Italian and they're uh-huh. having to like their minds are just like getting like blown because you're from South Philly right? I'm from yeah they, they were originally and now they like live out by the airport because that's like a real kind of that's a real Italian it's like your whole Italian. identity yeah and everybody else is like not as good you know, and yeah. they're like they're finding out they're they're like Jewish and Greek and like, you know, having to contend with their own racism. Like I grew up in a really racist environment. Yeah. Um, 
So it's interesting, and it, but I already like went through that when I was like 18, just like finding out that I wasn't actually Italian, even right. though it like never made any sense because I, you know, I'm like five five, and I like towered over everyone in the house and had, <laughs> yeah. you know, blonde hair, and they were like, oh. Yeah, you don't look Italian. No, no, no. I, I am a little bit, actually. I yeah. have, um, I'm like a quarter Italian. I, sure. I know my biological mother, and she's half, and I was like mostly raised by her parents and my great-grandmother, who oh, whoa. was like very Italian, like, like owned a hoagie shop in Atlantic City style Italian. Wow. I would like spend the summers with her. So, yeah, it was weird. It's like being raised by wolves and then just like always feeling like really different and really othered and then finding out that you actually are, you know? And then like years later, I was able to track down, like many years later, it was like 15 years later, track down my biological father's sister and like... Did like, you ever find him in Florida? No, I found, I found out that he actually died in Boston Fuck. waiting for a liver transplant. And he, he died like maybe like the year after I took that trip. So I wasn't looking like that yeah. seriously. Sure. I was just kind of like, I think part of me also just wanted to do this weird thing. Um, but, but meeting my aunt who was, you know, pretty generous with her time. Yeah. Um, was really wild because it like my, like I set up this whole sting of like, like one of my dad's brothers, um, my biological dad's brothers, ex-wives like ran a diner in Delaware. So we're like, all right, let's go to this diner. And then just like ate French toast and like initiated this bizarre conversation with her. And like, we're just gonna bring it up somehow that, oh, I think we know, I think you know my mom or whatever. And then, um, yeah, anyway, just kind of sprung it on her that, because she, she had met me when I was like a baby, like a month old or something, and hadn't seen me since. The woman at the diner the in Delaware? The woman at the diner, yeah. Whoa. So then she got me in touch with my biological aunt, and then um, just meeting her was pretty wild, because I, I just met her the one time, but she just like opened the door to her house, and it's like a house full of people that all look like me, and she's like, everyone in our family has bipolar disorder, and, you know, they're like artists and musicians and like crazy, like, cat hoarders and like animal rescue people and I was like oh this actually I don't feel like a you know square peg for yeah. like the first time in my life and this like actually like makes a lot of sense yeah um, for sure so, so anyway that was my idea for I was like oh I think that I, that would make a good podcast like yeah. sometime in the next year and oh that's right because the premise of it was like I want to take a DNA test in the in the middle of like recording this thing and then like talk about the yeah. results. Cause I kind I think I know what I'm comprised of, but sure. Not really. Don't really know all of it. So what, how old were you when you found out you were adopted? I was about 17 and, and I, and I know my biological mother. So that, you know, but, it, but I what found was out your relationship with her. She's, I don't I mean, have you a, knew she's she alive. Was your mother? Yeah, she's alive. Yeah. I knew she was my mother. Her parents were, the ones that really like took the reins as far as raising us like right. you know made sure we were fed and had clean clothes and went to school and like but that stuff didn't exist at home but then when I was like really little my mom remarried um, the Favanos this guy whose last name was Favano 
and then they divorced a few years later, but his family was like really instrumental in, you know, caring for me. They kind of took over. They, the they, yeah, but it was like a weird like, you know, they're they're like super South Philly Italian, yeah. like very working class and um, just a different culture. It was really a different culture. Like I always felt like like a cuckoo's egg. You know yeah. how they deposit their eggs in another nest. But um, but it's not like at seventeen you discovered that you were not living with the fa- your family of origin or, or family of origin. I guess is who raised you. You know what I mean? Like, you knew that that wasn't your biological family the whole time. No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't. I didn't. Yeah. How old were you when they started taking care of you? Like three or four. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. So then at seventeen you find out. Oh, yeah, this is yeah. actually right. Right. And then whoa. I. Whoa. Yeah. So it just kind of blew everything wide open. What were you like when you were seventeen? Like at that point. Oh boy. I was a wreck. Yeah. I was a wreck. I mean, things weren't good at home, in my mom's home. And um, just really, like, I was just like a traumatized kid. Like, I lived through an assault really early on and, you know, was, like, institutionalized in, like, a young kid's place. Um, And just, you know, just felt really lost. And my, I, I feel like I'd be amiss if I didn't say that my, like, the next generation, like my grandparents and my adopted families, you know, older folks, like they, they really tried, but they didn't know what to do with me. They like really spent a lot of time trying to talk me out of being an artist, you know, like there was no like acceptance. Yeah. But they, they were really great cooks and they bought me clean clothes and you know yeah like that stuff wouldn't have happened so I feel like I want to you know I don't know be appreciative of what they did do because I think it was like the best that they knew how to do but they were also like oh my god this kid is like you know does not fit in with our idea of like what a good life looks like you know yeah yeah I mean I was talking to my friend Maggie last month for the radio show and she's like has a very successful jewelry business now yeah. like where she makes jewelry out of gold and diamonds and shit and sells yeah. it for hundreds of dollars like she's really yeah. doing it yeah she used to be um Callie's assistant so yeah um there's like a weird Pittsburgh connection but she um her she like went to like a performing arts high school in New York that's like very hard to get into and she was in the fine art program like she's been had been acknowledged from a very young age as like a gifted artist. Yeah. And when she graduated high school and she was starting to apply to colleges, she like ended up getting a mostly free ride to Pratt. But her mom was like, why are you going to college? Best Buy is hiring. Yeah. Why would you do that? You know That's what I terrible mean? It's idea. like, why are you going to be an artist? Yeah. Why are you going to go to college to be an artist? There's Best Buy is hiring and there's yeah. like, there's a clear track Yeah. from working on the floor to running like all of the best buys in Queens. Yeah. And that's tangible to me. Like I know that's uh, discernible or whatever. And she believed that she was giving her daughter really great advice. Yeah, exactly. She was like, I'm looking out for you. I have life experience. You should actually listen to me. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And Maggie told hard. that story without even a slight seed of resentment. So I, yeah. I, I know what you mean by like, it, it doesn't need to, you can hold both of those things that like your family didn't want you to be an artist and also that they loved and cared for you. Yeah. Yeah. It it was just like such an extreme, like the, like the, what is that word? Like disparate, disparacy, disparateness. Um, They were like, what are you going to do with your life? You know, like screaming (laughs) at me. Like it was like, 
was like, I want to play rock and roll. And they were like, what are you talking about? You got to get married. Like, go to secretary school. Like, just screaming. Yeah. That was just what they did. And this is really awful to say. I'm going to say it. Um, when they, when that, like, older generation, because there was a lot of them that all were really opinionated about what I should and shouldn't do, when they all um, passed away, kind of in the same, like, handful of years, it was like, I mean, of course I was sad, and it was, yeah. like, very liberating. Yeah, Like, even, sure. even as an adult, like, in my 30s, you know, I was like, oh, okay, I don't have to, like, stress out about disappointing you constantly. You yeah. Know, I can, like, actually be who I am. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Um, were you... Did you get into punk, like, in South Philly, or were you, or were you into just, like... I, Gen you know, X alt rock city uh, shit. Like, what was your? It was like avant garde jazz was kind of my thing in high school. Yeah. Whoa! How yeah. did that come about? I, I just would like, I was just att- always attracted to like what was like the least popular thing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> this was <laughs> in like, like the high school kids. It was like early nineties. This was in no like late eighties. Late eighties around nineteen ninety or. Some, some, what yeah. was the avant-garde I jazz? High school, like ninety-one or something. Okay, yeah, I like the skin of my teeth. Exactly ten years older than me. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was the what was avant-garde jazz in South or in not South Philly, but like in Philly? In it the was actually late fucking 80s. awesome because yeah, what was going the, on? The Sun Ra Orchestra. Oh right, Philly, and they still live in Philly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were conducted by Marshall Allen. Yeah. Oh He's yeah. He's like ninety-three or four years old and is still killing. I saw it's them. Amazing. On what would have been Sunrise hundredth birthday at Lincoln Center, and he, oh nice, nice, it was like three or four years ago, and he yeah. did a fucking backflip. He was <laughs> he was ninety one or something at the time. He did a backflip with his saxophone in his hand. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! We're like, should we stop him? Like that? Yeah. There's the two guys, and then there's the one. They both have Marshall. Is Marshall Allen and then Gregory Marshall? Is that the? He he's yeah, like the. I th- there's Gregory. Tenor, sax yeah, his player. name's Gregory, and I'm pretty sure his last name's Marshall. I think it's Gregory I'm not totally Marshall. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is like the taller, yeah, kind of darker tall, skinned yeah, yeah, guy yeah. who's like the kind of like lieutenant or yeah. whatever of the band. He if, like if Marshall holds Allen it down. is the, yeah. the band leader. Yeah. 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 Whoa. So I definitely, I mean, I've listened to punk and like rock and roll and like, like I, I don't know. I did a lot of stuff with my grandfather who listen to jazz so we would drive around in his car and like go to the library and stuff and the jazz station was always on like he definitely like took up like a father role but um yeah I like I signed up for all those like get 10 tapes for a penny clubs and it was just like it was just like early rock and roll I was really into like Bill Haley and the Comets like just weird shit like that which is funny I just realized that um the drummer from the Comets rented out my grandmother's basement to go to the beach like the, her house was like right next to the beach so we would like have like spaghetti with him and stuff and but I definitely did listened. you know that when you were a kid would yeah you, were you buying those tapes or whatever yeah you were yeah like, and I was like oh wow that's he was in a band like how does how does that yeah. happen how do you learn to play an instrument like just seemed like another like how do you even access that world but like I yeah I listened to punk kind of you know as soon as I started learning about it, just like staying up late and listening to the college stations and like taking notes. And I would like stay up all night on Sunday nights and watch 120 minutes on MTV sure. and like take notes and then go to like the record store and try to find those bands. And, but I like, what was the record store? Sam Goody. Like <laughs> cool. Yeah. 
But it was, I don't know, there was like, I went to this like massive, it was like the largest Catholic high school on the East Coast. And there were a few punks who, you know, definitely like caught a lot of shit. It was like a big like jock culture. But they had each other. Like mm-hmm. I just never like, I don't know. I just was like really uncool. Sure. Like so uncool. And like my grandmother would buy my clothes. Like I couldn't like shop for myself. So, so I would get these like weird like, you know, J.C. Penny dresses and try to make them look punk. Like cut them up and then put like <laughs> safety pins through them and yeah. and get in trouble. What are you doing to your dress? You know, it was just yeah. like. So, yeah, I would, like, and I would go to punk shows, but it was always, like, just by myself. I'd, like, ride the train into the city, and, like, um, it wasn't until, like, much later that I, like, discovered, like, you know, the world of weirdos where I actually felt like I had, like, a, a gang. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah, high school was just a lonely, isolated kind of time. I had to unlearn a lot of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I want, I always wanted to. I always, like... Even, like, growing up in, like, a really, like, patriarchal, racist environment, like, it never sat right with me. Like, I remember even being, like, really, really little and being like, this is bullshit. But then to take that and then actually, like, when you move out of your house and you're like, oh, internalized racism, internalized patriarchy, Mm -hmm. and then, like, taking on that work, like, that's, like, oh, that's that's your life's work. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. figuring out how to untangle that that internal voice yeah um yeah it was yeah i mean i just saw like mainstream news coverage yeah, of it, yeah, yeah. and then you know like they yeah my family didn't i don't think they had that much to say about it they were just kind of like you know their kids don't even know how to read like it wasn't yeah. like oh my god they just blew up this whole block and like Right, the U.S. government me. is bombing yeah. the United States yeah. people. Yeah, so it was weird to like have like a um, like real time remembrance of it, and then still have to be like years later, like you know, actually like learning about it because I care. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I want to talk more about jazz in Philly. Were you seeing other stuff besides just Sunra Orchestra? Yeah, there. Um, at the time, the museum was called the Afro-American Museum, and I think now it's called the African-American Museum. Uh-huh. But they would have this um, 24 hour, 24 hours of jazz, and it was like just okay. wild, like avant-garde, yeah. free jazz. Like this guy Rufus Harley, mm-hmm. um, who was like just this total like um, local like wild man. He was like, I'm the world's only jazz bagpipe player. And yeah, so I would go, like, I would go to that, cool. like, in high school. I would, like, buy, like, take the train into the city, buy a ticket, because there was no internet. Yeah. And then take the train back, and then, like, make up some bullshit story about where I was, and, like, sit by myself in this theater, like, all night, and just listen to jazz. And they would put him on at, like, two or three in the morning. It was, but yeah, those were really, like, formative experiences for me. And it, like, I don't know, it felt subversive. It yeah. It felt subversive. Um, I saw the art ensemble of Chicago oh, quite yeah. a lot. Yeah, Whoa. they would they would play. I never saw them. I think the I can't remember the name of that club. I think it was the Clef Club on uh-huh. Broad Street. Um, amazing. Yeah. Like I saw a lot of amazing music and a lot of good punk music too. Yeah, I had a jazz dad, and so I went. He like took me to see the orchestra when I was very young, and then like 
we would see all kinds of, and then he took me to other stuff that he wasn't as into, but I was like, got really into slap a ham records for a minute yeah like power violence and he was like oh this sounds like john zorn and then would just like take me to yeah john yeah shows so naked or city a lot whoa um naked city's fucked up totally you got eye yeah um, oh yeah 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 um, I, saw, um, I think around that same time i saw diamanda gallus when she was on fuck. tour with um what's his name john paul jones from led zeppelin you yeah remember that album i do yeah yeah so i and you know it's like it's like anything like when you're a kid it's like yeah i needed money because like i didn't come from money right i always needed money but you kind of you can spend money on stuff like that when you're like oh i don't have to put money away for my retirement or my health insurance yeah. or whatever so i would just like it was like number one priority just taking in as much information as i could and that's be, being like where like it was just so exciting to yeah. me and it never occurred to me to like make music so i was like i just want to be where it is because it moves me you know why didn't it occur to you that you could make music i never knew anyone that did it or you know well there was the the 80 year old guy who was in the comments or right. whatever but like <laughs> i yeah i just didn't and i was so discouraged from exploring mm-hmm. it um it just never even i don't know just never seemed like a possibility was it gendered at all Definitely. Everything was gendered. Yeah. Even though my, like, where I grew up was, like, my household. The, well, I grew up in, like, three different households, really. But they're, they're matriarchal, for sure. Like, sure. there's, like, this, like, every house had this, like, ancient woman in the kitchen who, like, her word was, like, what, how things were going to go down. Right. But it's, you know, they're always, like, behind the scenes. Like yeah, the, for sure. It's, like... You know, I was like this abomination that I had these like other urges and like ways I wanted to express myself. Yeah. So when you moved out of the house, did you stay in Philly? I did. Yeah. I I went to college for about a year and um, just couldn't do it. There's there's like no ancestral wealth, you know. Right. Um, And I actually still owe some money. For that one year of college that was like, I know, you hear that? You're not getting it. Yeah, it's so <laughs> I paid grim. it back for a while. I did pay it back for a while. And yeah. then I went to the bank a few years ago and I was like, all right, is this, tell, give it to me straight. Like, am I like fucking up my retirement? And they're like, how much do you owe? And they're like, oh no, no, no. People have it like, people are like, you know, 50 grand in debt yeah. over this bullshit. And I was like, cool. Because these motherfuckers, they like art school that don't tell you that you're not going to make any money at this shit, you know, it's like criminal. So anyway, yeah, so I went to art school for like a year before I had to drop out. And um, the best thing I can say about that is I like kind of started to find my people a little bit. I was like, oh, you can be interested in things like rock and roll and art. Like there's like a nexus that happens, like you can do both. Uh Um, And then, uh, yeah. What was and the just, first, like, subcultural scene that you felt like a participant in rather than just a, uh, you know what I mean? Like yeah, a, yeah. Like, did that happen when you were still in Philly? You know, it kind of didn't because I, like, e- even though, like, that first crew of friends that I had, like, that one year of college, um, I was like, oh, this is great and I feel accepted in all these ways, but I also don't which is kind of like the uh, one of the themes of my life I always feel kind of other which is like my shit but like I was like oh how about we just like 
cram 10 of us in this house and one of us lives in the basement and like I just passed a big trash can filled with food back there. I had these like other urges that yeah. to, I was like, can't, why can't we just figure out a way to like live really cheaply and like, and it wasn't for like until like a couple more years that I was like, oh, there's like a whole subculture of people that like their lifestyles like based on this, just like scraping by, trying to avoid capitalism, like um, eating out of the trash. And I was like, th that's when it all kind of clicked for me. I was like, this actually makes total sense, even though I never like identified with like the, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm definitely like punk by default, but I was yeah. never like, oh, I'm punk, you know, right. and I'm yeah, not yeah. aware of this because I'm a punk. Like it was just felt like more ambiguous than that. But then I'm like, when I got more like clued into the lifestyle, I was like, oh, this actually is like, I feel really at home here and comfortable. And yeah. it's like a way that I can explore being myself and like overcoming all this bullshit and early trauma and stuff because I'm like, you know, you can travel, you can just kind of like exist in this like network just by, you know, living on your name. And, and that's finite and it only lasts for a while and yeah. it's like, you know, usually very white and it's still patriarchy and all these things, but it was also yeah. like just really exciting once I f figured out there were like other ways to live. Cause I was, you know, I was like, wait a minute. So I have to get like this horrible job that's gonna pay me like five bucks an hour and then pay all this money to live in this shitty place and then I still have no money. I was like, that doesn't make any sense to me, you know? And it still is like, yeah. I feel like um, that that's like one of the main things that that I still carry through, like in being in like middle-agedom that's like, I think is still really useful from like the time spent in the subculture. It's like, I'm you know, just like living like really below your means mm -hmm. and prioritizing what you need to spend money on and prioritizing what's important and being just like really resourceful. Like yeah. those are kind of like the best things that I got out of being in like the underground or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Becca's dad very famously uh, once said uh, to her, he was like, so you're telling me that just because of the music you like, you can go to any city in America and someone will make you beans? <laughs> like, I'm not saying they're going to be good beans, but yeah. Much. Yeah. And she was just like, that really is like a pretty concise distillation of what yeah. the like kind of punk that we were involved in. Yeah. There's all these simultaneous, you know, at the same time as I was doing like Scrappy Doug, uh, let's go to the Trader Joe's dumpster, like uh -huh. make organized trips to the Trader Joe's dumpster and then try to redistribute the groceries to all the tenants in my building. Yeah. Uh, there was like also j just the like um, cocaine and studs punk scene yeah. simultaneously happening yeah. in New York City or whatever. Yeah, totally. But like, yeah, I think the one, the one that we were part of and kind of like, yeah, it, it is really based on like some kind of flawed, patriarchal, fucked up, yeah, probably racist sense yeah, of all those things. Uh, community and mutual aid, yeah. you know, and I think that's really... Like, I know when I, I heard about your band before I moved here from Greg. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Because um, Greg put the, like, Come Holy Spirit first tape or something on Remote Outposts. Yeah. And I downloaded yeah, it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is fucking cool. Oh, yeah. And then was very excited. And then I was talking to Bender, and he was like, 
oh yeah, Gina was in John Denver's airplane, and I yeah. was like, oh, these are all these like I know, yeah. you know the the I think it. Even I'm in my mid thirties. I guess like I, the last year of my mid thirties, I would say, oh, about to be my late thirties. Very excited for that. It's great. Um, but like your body falls apart, but everything else is pretty great. Everything else is tight. Yeah. <laughs> I watching the like. Um, I think I hit the prime of like my name means something in punk to strangers. Yeah. Two or three years ago, like yeah. I just kind of like I had this popular fanzine and like people knew who I was and blah blah blah. Um, and you know, you still hear. I, Kelly told me a story I didn't even remember about pin, sticking a note with a knife to the wall of FBK a decade ago that like people still joke about. Apparently, you know, and it's like fun, yeah. silly stuff like that. But like, I think kind of watching the like thing decline, where like the cultural cachet that it comes with having done a zine that everyone heard of. Yeah. As I've not continued to do stuff that everybody's heard of, or like the same people know about it or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um is interesting, but also like it does still exist. I still yeah. hear from people that are like, Oh, you're the slice harvester or like yeah. I moved to Pittsburgh and I've you and I have never met, but I've heard of a band you were in. How long ago was John Denver's airplane? Um our heyday was like two thousand three, two thousand four. Yeah, I was like just yeah. out of high school. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Yeah, yeah. And I like I definitely I'm pretty sure I saw you guys in New York. I at least read about you in, um, what is it, uh, Maximum or something. Yeah. You know, like yeah. read reviews. Like I knew the name, and like I vaguely remembered the like, oh, this is like some freak shit. This wasn't just straightforward <laughs> yeah, punk. Like I remember. Oh man, that's putting um, it lightly. Yeah, yeah. We were all so crazy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But this is getting rambly. But so you have your little community. For a year in Philly, but you're not really participating. Yeah, just and didn't then, fit. did you yeah. stay in Philly? I what did I do? No, I moved to <laughs> I moved to Lodi, New Jersey. Why? Which is oh my god, uh, the Misfits are from there. Yeah, I was like my first boyfriend was from there. We lived in his mom's basement for a while. And okay. The big joke was Lodi stands for lots of dumb Italians. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was like right outside the Lincoln Tunnel, and we were just yeah. like. It was it was wild. It was a weird, wild time. Um, yeah. But like, did you go in the city a lot? I, yeah, I went into the city a lot, and um, I don't know. It, it's it's funny. It's like I just never felt like I fit in to any particular scene. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, what did I do after that? I don't know. Probably moved back to Philly like a half a dozen times, and like right. worked a bazillion jobs. And you've got like a, are you making art this whole time or are you still just kind of like, you know what's crazy? is this something I should be doing? Yeah, I, I stopped. Well, that year of college just shut me down. And it was like, you know, it's probably around 1991. And it wasn't, it really wasn't a thing in a lot of major schools where like, you're like, oh, actually we need to teach, um, you know, as many female artists as we are male artists. And it was like, I just I just shut down. I just yeah. like completely shut down. Didn't believe in myself. Didn't believe I had anything to offer. Fuck. And was like really still like unpacking a lot of the details from like the assault and being institutionalized because it wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't that distant a memory. Like yeah. I was probably like 16. Do you want to talk that about that? Happened. We don't have to. I don't you know it's, it's interesting. It's like 
It's starting to like seep out in my work mm -hmm. and definitely music, but it's I'm still I'm still unpacking it. It's like yeah. I definitely don't have it figured out, and I'm like I must want to talk about it because I like bring it up sometimes now. But it's also like um, I'm still trying to find a way to talk about it that makes me feel like comfortable and safe. Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. Why well, did like survivor support work for a decade in New York. So if you ever want to talk about it, not on tape. Yeah, I, I happy appreciate to do that. you. Yeah. yeah, thanks. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how that stuff just never goes away. Yeah, and I'm like, like still unpacking childhood trauma shit or yeah. like teen trauma that is like still, I like every five years, I think I worked all the way through it and I'm like, cool, put that away. Yeah, done with that, check it and out the list. And then it's like, oh, nope, here it is manifesting <laughs> in an all new way. Oh my God, I know, I know. And, you know, through your relationships. Oh yeah. The and the ways that like trauma can manifest in your life and then create unhealthy patterns that then create new trauma uh -huh. that now yeah, I'm working you're, through. And you're like, really? really? Yeah. <laughs> like I'm working through trauma from five years ago, but that's actually... I only was in the position to get into that traumatic situation uh -huh. five years ago because of trauma from, you know, 20 years ago. Oh my God, it's, it's endless. Yeah, it's, it's endless. It's, it's, it never goes away. Endless it's hustle. so fucked. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's just so much work, like trying to live an existence where you're like honest with yourself and have integrity. And, you know, if you're like serious about trying to shed some of your bullshit, it's just like a yeah. full-time job. For sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a for, yeah. It's an ongoing process, just yeah. forever and ever. Yeah. Um, so you move back and forth to Philly and wherever, and you're working dumb jobs, and you're yeah. not making art. Not making art. Not making music. Right. I'm, I'm traveling. You're traveling. I'm exploring the How are you traveling? By car. By car. I've broken down in like every state. Yeah. In the country. Who are you traveling with? By yourself? Uh, I did a little bit of traveling with my first boyfriend, and then after that, it was just by myself. Yeah, yeah. And when you go, like, how do you? At this point, you're like in your mid twenties. Yeah, something early like 20s, that. Early twenties. Early twenties. You're like, how do I go? Why are you? Where are you going? And why? Like, how are you choosing a destination? You know, I don't know. I was just so like. Um, we just kind of fall into situation after situation, which is like, which is a big thing for someone that can't look at themselves or, you know, look at something that's happened to them. Yeah. Um, you're like, oh, that looks nice. I'm just going to go over there. Or, oh, I've, I want to see the desert. And it was like, you know, reading all like the, the Don Juan, like Mescalito books. And I was like, so I'm going to sure. go to the desert. And then you go to the desert and you're like, oh, there's a weird rainbow gathering. So I'm going to hang out here and eat pancakes. And then I'm going to go to the Bay Area and like sit on the beach and, you know, uh -huh. maybe once a week I'll find a payphone and call my grandmother because she's like sick with worry. Like, yeah, <laughs> I um, I don't want to talk about Janice from The Sopranos. Did oh, how can you not? But I, I feel I'm watching it, was, it for the it first was filmed. time. Part of it was filmed in that town where I live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that that's Tony's sister that like goes off and joins a bunch of I cults know. and lives in yeah. in Seattle. It feels like. Did you get a lot of shit from your family when that character came out? Um, I don't think we ever watched it together. But no, because my family is like I'm not Italian, but similar yeah. like and not not from Philly or Jersey, but like New York kind of loudmouths on both sides. There, there's a lot of crossover and, yeah and if there's like <laughs> yeah my my friend sal's mom cecilia 
once was like stirring the gravy in the kitchen yeah. and she was like she was like we were comparing notes on our tomato basil yeah. sauce recipe and she was like you're italian right why are we even talking about this you know how to mix gravy and i was like <laughs> you just like sweat it out at night and I was it goes like, i'm not italian and she was like what the hell are you you know and i was like my mom's irish and my dad's jewish and she was like I mean, that's same basically thing. Italian. It's like the same thing. It's basically yeah. Italian. You know, it's yeah. like ethnic, white ethnic, right. outer borough, whatever. Um, right. But um, that's they're the kind of people that, like, would see a thing like that and then, like, give me shit, like, pack it in their pocket to give me shit on Easter or whatever. Oh, I know. The, well, know I, well I stopped. I was vegetarian for many, many, many years. Oh, boy. And that was, like, that was their big... You know, there was no room to give me shit over anything else because it was yeah. just that was the thing to give me shit over. But it's it's funny. It's funny being at this stage in life, and like most of those people have passed away, right? And I no longer have any relationship with my mother, who has like severe addiction and abuse sure. issues. And it's just like my adopted Italian family who. I go back and visit a couple times a year and I'm not even related to them. And they're right. just like, they're so accepting and sweet. And I just look like, you know, I walk in the door and I just look like I'm from Mars compared to those guys. Yeah. And, um, Do they just, like it? Do they like that you're so different and weird? I I mean, like is a strong word. <laughs> okay. I'm like, they've accepted it. it, it it's acceptance is what yeah. it is. And that was sure. like always like the one thing I never had growing yeah. up. That feels nice. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, so that feels really good. And it's also, just feels good not to have, like, those pressures of, like, mm-hmm. oh, God, I have to go home for Christmas, and this person's going to, you know, it feels really good to be, yeah. like, I'm in my 40s. You're an asshole. We don't need to talk. It's cool. Never you know, again. like, yeah. 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 So it's weird. Yeah, the family stuff's always weird. Yeah. I got in a really crazy car accident in June when I was driving out to Minnesota and um, I actually got hit by a full-size tractor trailer with like a full load and it was I thought I blew a tire because it happened so fast I was like one second I was driving and I was like singing to the radio and then it was just like just like across like three lanes of traffic outside of Chicago and like hit the guardrail and like you know just like just like ponied up didn't lose control of the wheel like got it to a stop and um the like the the uh, lug nuts from the truck had just like worn this groove in the whole side of the car and like the driver's side door was crunched in I couldn't get out of it but I got out and I just was like you know did like the wallet watch testicle spectacles like oh my fucking god like it's just like walking around like touching myself it was like i'm ooh, still here okay cool and uh it really felt like something it felt like someone intervened huh i was like that was my fucking grandmother yeah she was like not today satan just like whatever you know it's just it really felt i had like this super strong sensation of like someone else someone was like Still looking out for me, yeah. Know, I'm just get you know weirder and weirder. So that was cool. I didn't die. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? Um, was it hard to get back in the car? Yeah, I was pretty shaky. I was like, you know, when you have a close call like that, it like goes really quickly from like euphoria yeah. to like 
okay, I'm like shaking and I'm actually really over this and want to get where I'm going. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it was, it worked out. It was good. Yeah, yeah it's sure. funny how like um, the more in tune you become with like doing what you're doing the work that you're put here to do and like actually like being in touch with that and being like I'm going to structure my life so I can do these things that I'm good at and the things that I'm supposed to be doing and um things just kind of start clicking like that a little bit you're like okay I'm not I wasn't supposed to die that day because I actually have some more things I need to say and more paintings I need to do or whatever How, how do you figure out the work you're supposed to be doing I don't know. I think it's different for everybody. Yeah. How did you figure it out? I had like a bunch of near-death experiences over the years. It was sure. like, you know, like, oh my God, the specter of death is just looming there. Like I actually, I think about that a lot and it, and it doesn't feel morbid to me. It doesn't feel morbid. It feels like, like the really hard questions that I was asking myself over the last 10 years or so was like, all right, what would be my biggest regret? if I'm on my deathbed, like what actually yeah. would I not be able to make peace with? And um, not trying really hard to make as much art and music as I can before I go would be my deepest regret. Yeah, for sure. So that's, that's actually what it is. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And it, and yeah. it also, it, like, it, it comes from a place of love too. Like I feel like I'm working even like the, you know, if I write a song that's like really filled with rage or grief or whatever, it still is like ultimately coming from a place of love. I'm just like wanting to, you know, it's like we all have to transform the world in the way that we're good at. So like playing to your strengths, you mm-hmm. know, which is which is like a big thing in like especially like DIY punk activist culture. It's kind of like for a long time I felt like, you know, secretly just wanting to be an artist and a musician was like wasn't valid it was just like this you know um what's that word like like oh it's just such a luxury and privilege that I can even yeah exactly like I you know need to be like in the trenches digging ditches or whatever I'm like this is actually this is what I'm good at so this is what I'm supposed to do yeah also like it's weird it's like a weird capitalist notion that art isn't important. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a long time to um, just get over that. Like, it's actually really important. Yeah. It's really important, and it's you know it's not as important as making sure everybody gets to eat every day and has medical care and all this other sure. stuff. But it's it's up there. It's important. Yeah. When did when did your like art practice as you kind of see it today return? Um, like or begin, I should say. You know, it's funny. It was pretty recent. I did the music for many years. Yeah. Um, let's let's gloss. Let's just like do a chronology of okay. of your music stuff. So okay. when did you? What's your first band? Uh, the first band where we like. I mean, there was like you know a handful of like basement bands sure. that were like we have a name or but we don't actually play to anybody or yeah. record anything. So the the first band that I was involved in where we did recordings and toured and stuff like that was a, um, a five piece from Philadelphia called Beware the Blended Needle. Uh-huh. And we were all women just, but, but that never felt like the focus of it. Right. It wasn't like, and we're girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
fuck you, patriarch. It was just like this, we all really get along and this would be cool and weird and let's just start a band. Yeah. Which is kind of, you know, um, how it's supposed to be, I think. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, and then what, what's the like kind of progression from, like what is your band chronology? Um, okay. So you're in We Are the Blue Needle, yeah. you guys tour a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Put we're, out some records. Yeah. yeah, we're, you know, I don't think we, no, no vinyl. But we had like four recordings, like CDs sure. and tapes and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then that band was together for like six years. And then in the middle of that was when I did that bike trip across Florida. Okay. And that's when I actually met Tony, who was in John Denver's airplane. Yeah. And then we had, you know, like... Where was he living? He was in Florida and uh, outside of Gainesville on okay, this yeah. farm. There's like a big, there's like a big uh, farm pump scene down yeah. there. There's a bunch and of those. We, yeah, we had like instant connection, like instant like, oh, yeah. compañero, you know, and you just like do this. Yeah, for point, sure. Point each other's eyes. And um, I went back to Philly and was in that band for like a couple more years. And then ultimately, uh, well, I wrote a grant towards the end of Beware the Blunted Needle to... to um, buy a school bus and convert it to run on used vegetable oil because uh-huh. that was like when all that stuff was starting yeah. to be burgeoning. What year are we talking now? Like 2001 or two, I yeah, think. Yeah, the very beginning. Yeah, the beginning. That. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that'd be cool. Who gave you the idea to write a grant? Did you think of that on your own? I thought of that on my own because I was really broke and I was yeah. like, I want a school bus and I want to <laughs> yeah, convert it sure. to run on used vegetable oil. And, you know... And I was like, oh, that'd be cool if it was like, like the frame, the, the way I framed it was like, um, I'm a woman, I know nothing about cars at all. I don't have a car. And I want to prove that this technology is like accessible for and sure. whatever. So, so I bought this bus and then that became my home for a few years. And I ended up driving the bus down to Florida, converting it down there uh-huh. at the farm in Florida. And then, um, that's kind of when John Denver's airplane really started to take off, and we just yeah. like toured hard. In the bus. In the bus and a van. We needed space. Yeah. <laughs> we needed a lot of space. Where <laughs> from each other? Where were you based out of? In, out of Florida, um, essentially. Yeah, there was this tiny town. It's still there, called Waldo, and there's this little like ranch on it called Circle A Ranch, and yeah. it's kind of this like, you know, outward bound for. Crusty kids. Crust lords, yeah. yeah, no, it's, yeah. Um, I know, I think some people that live or have lived on that land mm-hmm. in the past, you know. The 15. train ran right through the back of the property, yep. so kids would always hang out there and try to hop out. And um, yeah, it's funny. It was funny living in that like Florida music scene, too. Because, yeah. I mean, me and Tony were just such assholes, like snobs, music snobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still kind of am, but not as much. I think I've gotten over a lot of that stuff. I think it's okay. I think there's like a fake thing in punk (laughs) where like you're not allowed to have taste or like you're not supposed to, it's like supposedly egalitarian to like just not admit anyone has talent. And that's like my, my mom's fucked up Catholic mother who would like hide her good report cards because they would make her shitty brother feel bad. Like we don't need to replicate that in punk. Yeah. Can we not turn that oh, on yeah, just in case totally. the sound? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're allowed to be a fucking snob. Yeah. Some people's bands suck. Yeah. Some music is awful. Yeah. I, I've gotten over, like, 
my snobbery around musicianship. Sure. That's, I mean, like some of the music that I appreciate the most is like really unrefined and yeah. raw. And it's, you know, which is its own skill, like to be able to like pull something out of like a really emotive place mm -hmm. and have that translate in front of an audience is, it's, a, it's this really underappreciated skill. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, it's, it, I think it's like one of the main reasons why, you know, people who play music a lot are like drawn to like drinking and taking drugs and stuff because it's trying to elicit that sober is hard. It's yeah. really hard to do. You it know? is hard, for sure. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, you tour incessantly. Tour, yeah, and we, you know, that band was so funny. We were just all, we were just like this band of orphans. And yeah. we, we all, the four of us kind of only related to each other when we were part of that group, you know, and then like once the, it disbanded, um, because, of, because of drugs, like somebody in yeah. the band had drug problem and sure. we tried to keep it going and it just wasn't the magic was gone um, it we kind of like all you know more or less lost touch with each, with each other I talk yeah. to Tony every, every so often but it's not like we were just like each other's family you know yeah. like slept in ditches every night together and you know shared every meal like it was it's and and that's not sustainable like those relationships are usually not sustainable yeah I mean shit like that burns pretty hot right and yeah. then like it's kind of like yeah when the circumstances that yeah I mean I have I just had dinner with someone that I haven't seen in a long time who I was like we were like inseparable you know 15 years ago or something and like there was just kind of no spark there anymore. It's weird. And it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. Like yeah. it's not, it's no judgment. Yeah. No one is doing anything wrong in their life. Yeah. But there was, we were just kind of like, do you know that, um, that Pagan's record, the, it's called like Family Values or something. Uh -huh. It's like kind of a hard rock record. Uh -huh. And it's got, it's got that, one of my favorite uses of parentheses in a song title. I forget which part is in parentheses, but the song is called us and all our friends are so messed up. You know that song? Yeah. yeah. And either either are so messed up or us and all our friends are in a parenthesis. Yeah. Um, which I just, I love it. But there's that part where he's like, uh, Pagan, whatever the fuck that guy's name is, is like, I saw my old friend yesterday. It wasn't easy. <laughs> we stood and searched for things to say. And oh, I like. It's so honest. It's so and honest. It, and it rhymes. And it rhymes. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and I like, I really just feel that where it's like some of those circumstances that lead yeah. to that sense of um like intense intimacy that comes in like a moment of either manufactured or genuine i think in my life a lot of the like chaos was sort of i sought it out yeah um but like sometimes it's real you yeah. know it's or like i guess it's still real even if i sought it out yeah. but like you know what i'm saying i, I do think, i think there's like there's a Legitimate. It doesn't make their relationship any less legitimate in the past, and it doesn't mean anything about either of you now that like that feeling has is gone. Yeah, and and there's there's so much beauty too, like in the wildness of those times, and like the the ephemeralness. You know, it's like a damselfly living for two days or whatever. But yeah. Oh, but but the reason I brought that up is, um, you know, like 
none of us like had any money ever and like didn't have our shit together enough to like really make a good record of that time right so that's actually on my list of um my long 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 list of projects that i want to complete this winter is um to digitize some of that stuff because i have i have some like vhs tapes that are oh whoa that are pretty good yeah cool we we tried to record in new york once at um where was it not c squat i think it was serenity squat yeah there was a recording studio there but it it's just in in didn't sound that great and then the guy who was recording us died he drank himself to death and it was just like we all just kind of were like oh god we have to get jobs like we have to we have like nothing <laughs> like this band yeah. isn't gonna pay for anything like ever you know yeah for sure yeah so it was it was funny it's like a definitely some heartbreak walking away from that yeah, yeah. that makes sense um, what did you do after the band? I that was around the time I think I moved to Pittsburgh. I moved back to Philly briefly. Worked at my old jobs. It was like teaching like after school arts programs yeah. in Philly schools, and so so it meant I was really like making the big bucks. No, just kidding. Um, it meant that I was living with like seven people and could still barely make rent. You know. Yeah. Um, and I had been coming to Pittsburgh on and off over the years, mostly to um, do like veggie oil workshops. Sure. Um, like these like renegade like parking lot tutorials. And then um, around that time, I wrote another grant to teach um, uh, mechanics classes that were like specific to women. Cool. And at the time, you know, I like. I think I think it was called like women only classes or whatever and I think I definitely would use slightly different language now so it was more sure. inclusive but um, at the time that's what it was called come here um, so yeah so I did I taught those uh, it was a finite course it was like three different classes like one was like basic mechanics and one was um, veggie oil conversions, and then one was building a biodiesel processor, which were all like really different classes. Yeah. Um, so that lasted for, I don't know, about three months. And then I ended up just, I don't know. Pittsburgh felt really good to me, and it still really does. It was like, yeah. um, it was like I could reinvent myself here in a way where not that I was reinventing myself, but like sometimes you need to get away from your past. Yeah. To feel like you can try new things. I think that's more what it was. Yeah, for sure. It was like, oh, I can try new things here, and I don't feel like I'm just like gonna like be pulled back into who I used to be. Or yeah, you know. I mean, a friend of mine who grew up in Queens was like, I'm never moving back to Queens, you know, and uh, I just saw him. The other day and he moved to Ridgewood which is like the neighborhood next to Bushwick that's yeah. like technically part of Queens and he was like I you know I moved back to Queens and a week into living in my new apartment I ran into this kid that I hate from high school at the bar <laughs> you know and it's like I lived in New York my whole entire life and yeah. there's things that just like weren't gonna change until I left yeah you know because there's just always whether it's human or like geographic or whatever. There's just like all these things that are just gonna bring up yeah. your past constantly around you. I, I totally get that yeah. desire to like kind of cut the yeah. cut the cord or whatever. And distance from my family too, even though that wasn't like 
I don't think even that conscious at the time. Sure. It was like, I just need um, some space to be who I am and yeah. who I want to be and work on all those things. So I, yeah, within a couple months of that class ending, I actually ended up getting a job with the, um, the film workers union here. Okay. I worked on movie sets for for like 10 years. It was nuts. Yeah. I was a scenic artist for the IOTC Local 489, um, which was good and bad yeah. for a lot of different reasons. And then um, was very fortunate in that I was able to buy a house. And um, now that that's kind of on lockdown, I'm like, all right, I actually just want to be like whatever let my freak flag fly and just yeah. be an artist and a musician and just like push it until I can anymore for sure um, but it you know just I definitely it, it was like a conscious decision I was like oh my god I have like no there's no security in my life I don't have insurance I don't have anything to you know in the bank like I don't really have a stable place to live mm-hmm. so like moving to Pittsburgh coincided with all those things and you know I feel like I'm still trying to strike a balance of like not feeling like I'm like manically trying to just like exercise all these ideas and projects and albums and be like okay it's cool you can enjoy a good meal and just breathe and chill for a minute get back to the studio tomorrow yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um was there a break in music between John Denver's airplane and come holy spirit yeah yeah, there was. It was like the first few years that I lived in Pittsburgh was um, kind of that like uncomfortable, you know, trying to find it. It's like dating. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm going to join OkCupid okay or whatever. And like, it looks like it should work out, but like it just, the, the vibe wasn't there or whatever. Like, you know, there were a couple There's like, an app false for starts. finding bandmates now. Oh my God. Yeah. We just, we had to put like a flyer up at the coffee shop I know. <laughs> and then be like I hope this person's not a creep yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna invite him over um, that, that makes so much sense actually I know it's, like, it's I could it makes a lot of sense it's it weirds me out but like I'm just being uptight yeah. I think that it's like however people want to connect to do creative stuff is good yeah but yeah. I definitely see that and I'm like you don't know <laughs> book your own fucking life yeah. like <laughs> what yeah, do you know it's crazy we just have to like find a payphone. yeah you're like oh there's got to be, okay, let's just drive around because there's no GPS and like... Take out a classified in the back yeah, of Max yeah. Rock and Roll like any other punks in yeah. Pittsburgh <laughs> trying to make music. Uh-huh. So, so, yeah, there were a couple of false starts. And, sure. Um, the, the thing, one of the things that I value the most... Oh, that's my dog. Yeah. Um, about this project is like the... Um, the fact that we're like recording regularly yeah. it's, it's been like kind of like almost every year just like writing a whole new body of work and recording it and I'm like okay you know if and when it ends if nothing else I'll have these records and like yeah. that, that that's like sec- equal security to me it's like alright I was here I did something like that that was always like the hard you know I, I don't know the first few years of like making music that didn't like like make a footprint anywhere was okay but then it like eventually just starts to feel like um you know you you work really hard on this thing and you want to have something to show for it at the end yeah i want i want evidence and then we're not all going to be like a comet bus where someone is going to put together a box set of every demo we've ever recorded 20 years later or whatever you know maybe you don't know 
I said, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it could happen, yeah, but yeah. it's not going to happen for a lot of people is what yeah. I mean. And I don't mean that <laughs> as shade to Aaron. I love that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? It's like there's like the exceptions or the kind of like very special people that yeah. like other people take real interest in. That's and what then, it takes. That's what yeah. it, you need like a village to do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, how has being sick impacted your artistic practice, if at all? You have Lyme. Yeah, I do. I had you got and was undiagnosed for like a decade. Twelve years. Twelve years. And so, yes, <laughs> the answer is yes. Yeah, of course. Um, it, like I know we talked before we started recording about yeah. how it changes touring, where yeah. like the kind of freewheeling nature of like oh, I'll just go sleep in a ditch and yeah. like that is just impossible or now. eating or you know yeah, many, there's smoky just bars all of it so yeah. much maintenance yeah um it's really interesting because yes all those things are true and it's a very expensive disease to live with and um you know half my time is spent just caring for my body but yeah my answer to that question would have to be that it, it's kind of accelerated everything because when you have finite energy you're really strategic about where you put it. Yeah. And I'm yeah, like, for this sure. is what I want to do, actually. And like, this person's dead weight or whatever, this gossip yeah, yeah, does yeah. not interest me or this job is like not worth my time. Um, so that's the main takeaway. It's um, like, I, I feel solid about what I want to do for yeah. the rest of my life, which makes me feel fortunate despite all the hardships that come with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you know Sue Jivin? No. She like owned a punk club in Boston, and she, she's from Jersey. She used to manage that band Blank Seventy Seven or whatever. Okay, them. yeah. Um, she was on the not, radio not show. Not Blank One Eighty Two. No, the like um, <laughs> like Scabies Couch Street Punk Band from New York in the late nineties. Um, she has um, like stage four breast cancer. Mm. Has for. She's. Her prognosis has been that she's about to die for like so many years now, oh and she God. just keeps being alive. Yeah. Um, but she's like a tattooer. I want to meet her. Has been for a while. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to get her to come out here and tattoo. But um, she, we talked about that a lot. Where she yeah. was like, "Yeah, I mean, like it, it's fucked, be dying or whatever. Like yeah. that, I'm dying and chronically ill, and that like I have to spend uh, three days every fourteen in a hospital getting chemo or whatever yeah. but like it has also made me really have to just decide like I want to tattoo as many people as possible before I'm dead so that yeah. when I'm gone there is like a record yeah I relate um, to that it's super hard yeah um, yeah it's you know the just being like ravaged by Lyme for so long it's left me with like issues with my heart um, and my liver and you yeah. know it's just like like I went to the ER a couple times last year because I thought I was having a heart attack and then I wasn't and I had to like wear the thing and like it just it really narrows your focus in a yeah. way that feels healthy it feels healthy as ironic as that sounds no that makes sense um, like uh, emotionally like, and mentally healthy uh-huh. yeah if at the cost of your physical health or uh-huh. whatever yeah and it's you know and you don't you just don't put time into people that don't value your time and yeah like I you know just like constantly wanting to like challenge myself and learn as much as I can and make as much as I can and yeah 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 for sure can we talk just briefly about your like artistic practice sure, now yeah. like what you do and yeah 
what how you got into it and kind of what um, that looks like? Yeah, I well, the last half of the time I spent in the the film union, I was painting a lot of signs, uh-huh. um, and I didn't really learn on the job so much as like um, on my own time, like taught myself these like sign painting techniques because I I mean I was like really like scrambling to find an exit strategy. I was like, not only do I not want to do this anymore, I can't physically maintain this. So right. like, what am I going to do? And I was like, okay, sign pa- there's like a resurgence in hand painted mm-hmm. signs. I was like, that feels like a good way to earn a living. And I would feel yeah good about it. And I'm good at it. A little and, like, easier on whatever. your body. Yeah, than, exactly. Like, yeah. Painting. Sit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, started doing that for a little while. And then that started feeling, it actually started feeling like the veggie oil mechanics to me, where it was like, I was almost doing it to prove that I could do it and not because it actually made me that happy. And oh, I was like, this still feels, I mean, I still enjoy it. I, yeah. I'll paint signs sometimes, but sure. they're always like really arty and weird. And I was like, I'm not actually happy. I feel really restricted. Yeah. You know? And so that kind of translated to, to painting on plywood. Um, but just more like exterior works of art. Like yeah. I do like a, a version of like a Pennsylvania Dutch hex sign that, that I sell like pretty regularly and like yeah. a lot of pet portraits and stuff like that. And, and it's interesting because I am incredibly fortunate and I feel really supported by people in Pittsburgh, especially who will, you know, work really hard at their jobs and then pay me money to make something because they want to look at it. Like that's amazing to me. And I also feel like, you know, like the weirder stuff is just starting to creep out. I'm like, I, I don't know. It's this, this isn't all I have to say. Just yeah, things that are sure. pretty and aesthetically pleasing. Like there's some really ugly stuff kind of brewing in the wings <laughs> that I want to pay attention to in the next year. Yeah. So... So it's, I'm in a weird, like, gray area. Like, there's a lot of st- stuff I'm making at home that I'm not really ready to share yet until it's, like, a, a body of work. But but in the meantime, you know, I love doing pet portraits for people because it's... It, it, it feels like a real service, you know? It's like there's no... And I'm like, that's cool if I can, like, you know, pay the gas bill for that and, like, the person yeah. I make it for is really happy. That's great. And um, this interesting thing happens usually whenever I make one where the person who it's for will tell me about their animal and like tell me it's they're usually memorial portraits Mm -hmm. and it's like will tell me about like their animals passing and how it affected their life and you know the chapter of their life that this animal's lifespan marked out and it's like there's no really socially acceptable arena to to like um, to digest that, you know, it's like people get really sick of hearing you talk about your dog and how sad you are about oh. your dog, and you know, yeah. And I'm like, I get to do, like, I get to do that for somebody. It feels really cool. Wow. So I think that's something I'm gonna continue to offer no matter what, because I really do. Yeah. It feels I I feel lucky that I can do that for somebody. Wow, this ties in so well to last month's. Did you get to listen to that? I by did. The way? Yeah. yeah. I follow her on Instagram already. Yeah. And I was like, these are really cool. And then I was like, oh, that's his friend. No shit. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, you know, and like, 
I think I mentioned this talking to Maggie, but like I've talked about this with Cindy. That was part of the tape that got lost in the interview, the lost interview, (laughs) where like we had like a 40 minute conversation about being identified as a public healer and punk and how hard that can be because people just like spill their trauma to you at at the show when you're not really ready to be taking that on. Yeah, like at the merch table. Yeah. Drink some water or whatever. And like I did that to Cindy when I was Mm -hmm. pretty young. Like I went straight from a funeral to a trouble, trouble, trouble matinee at ABC No Rio and was just like, Cindy, I'm freaking out. My friend's dead. I just came from the funeral. (laughs) And she was like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's like 4.30 in the afternoon. You're really wasted. Like maybe just... We can. You want to write me a letter about it or something? We can talk on the phone or whatever. Yeah. But like, maybe now's not the time. It's yeah. so like very sweet about it, but yeah. like kind of made a boundary. But it's really. I've had a lot of conversations about that, and much less until I talked to Maggie about the ways that people are like, I am taking on this work in a way that feels good to me. Yeah. Um, and that's really, that's really nice. It's nice to see that like you see this whole in other people's lives yeah. and you're like I I can fill this I have the capacity and I'm gonna do it and especially with the way conversations around like emotional labor are going nowadays where like everything is unnecessary emotional labor and I'm not saying those are not important conversations Yeah. but I think there's a part there's like a kind of utopian anarchist part of me that's like we should all be doing emotional labor for each other at all times and not and not questioning it because we all need to be here for each other. And I get that that's not sustainable, but like I bristle at the notion that emotional labor is bad. And so hearing you talk about like essentially, oh, these people hire me to pay, to paint a pet portrait, but what they're actually getting is this like deep processing session. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Like in this thing that they'll have, you know? Yeah. And you know, and I think emotional labor would be sustainable if it were reciprocal more. Right. If you were, if it wasn't just like this one-sided thing that some of us just end up doing, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's I think like part of the reason why I feel good about doing those paintings for people is like just going, getting back to like what you were asking about like these chapters of my life and yeah. where I went and what I did. The the one constant for a lot of the really like rambling years was this dog that I had and it was just like this deep, deep, intimate, loving relationship where yeah. I felt safe and accepted and all these things. And, you know, they they just, they mark out the meters of our lives in ways that most human relationships don't. Yeah. And it's, I think it's like really important to honor that. Things to say 
And in the went in a bar And in the dim green light He said, Mike, whatever happened to the world you knew last night? I couldn't tell him Whatever happened to the world we knew last night? And all my friends are messed up And there's never enough Of anything To go around This town is like death Then I feel like a wreck Blah 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 I don't know what else he's saying And there's no lyrics to this song on the internet for me to look up Um But you know, you get the gist Uh Thank you, I want to say To um, the Pagans For writing this song Thank you to Nathan uh, from Vancouver for um, playing me this song for the first time. Uh, thank you to... If you're from a different part of Canada, Nathan, I want you to know I'm sorry that I forgot where you were from. But I knew you in Brooklyn. You know who I'm talking about. You love rap music and basketball. You're very punk. And I like you a lot. Um, thank you to... Lakara Akulta for being the guest uh, for being the guest. God, you guys know I'm sick. You listen to the intro, right? Uh, Lakara Akulta wrote the theme song. Thank you to Gina for being the guest. I'll put links to everything in the goddamn episode description uh, so you can hear her bands and see her art and all that stuff. Um, thank you as well to you, the listener, for putting up with this bullshit from me. Fucking no thank you to the white supremacist police state. Uh, no thank you to um, our terrible government no thank you to ICE Uh, fuck ICE in fact they deserve more than a no thank you Um, free Palestine I'm a Jew I don't need to I don't know why I hate that I have to say this but uh, I'm a Jew and Israel is a fucking shit show Uh, it's a nightmare apartheid state gotta get rid of that shit um yeah, uh, we live in a hell. Uh, love your friends. Hug them. Tell them that you care. Make cool stuff. Don't give up. No cops, no creeps. Peace in the pizzeria. I'm out.